Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me uh, uh, mock me. They make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a uh, potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You laid me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count my bones, they glare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not been despised or abhorred, the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he, has cri- when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The, affliction, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts for, uh, live forevermore. Forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. And the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down into the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Prosperity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can come and worship you. And Holy Father, we are thankful that you are not far off, but like a loving father, we can come to you in times of need, in times of desperation. Thank you for sending your son, who is our mediator, who 
is our bridge that we can speak to you through him. Lord, and send us your Holy Spirit that as we uh, hear the, these words, that they may cut our hearts, that we may draw closer to you, and that in times of desperation, in times of lament, we may go and turn to you. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So uh, one of my favorite shows of all time, it's actually my top three uh, shows, is the show Scrubs. If you've never seen the show before, it's a uh, medical comedy. It was uh, started in 2001, ran for about nine seasons, but uh, we do not consider the ninth season as being canon uh, there. And uh, if Basically, you know, it's like Grey's Anatomy or House, those kind of copied Scrubs, uh, but did it not as good. Um, and one of the things that made the show great was, A, it was just a hilarious comedy. You're laughing throughout the whole uh, show. But every once in a while, and they only did this like once or twice a season, maybe three times, they'd really kind of like pull the rug from under you and the last five minutes would just be like this tearjerker episode. There was even one episode where like, the last line is a tearjerker, and then they like fade to black and don't let you process it at all. Um, and it was just so jarring, and it was just so well done and so well written. Uh, one of these episodes is from season eight, and it's called My ABCs. Uh, in this episode, uh, JD, who's the main character, uh, we see everything from his perspective, and uh, he is the one who kind of narrates the show. Uh, the entire time at his hospital, Sacred Heart, he's imagining all the Muppets from Sesame Street uh, being on his show. So, uh, you know, Oscar the Grouch is the new chief of medicine. Grover's a doctor who's a ladies' man. Uh, Elmo helps this new intern, Denise, work on her bedside manner. And JD uh, regret regretfully informs another Muppet that he, in fact, has a hand inside of him. Uh, so all of this is great, uh, but throughout it, they kind of weave the fact that JD has a patient who's not doing well. And in the last five minutes or so, uh, JD has to inform the patient's wife and his child that he's going to die, and there's nothing they can do. And uh, uh, while, all, while all this is going on, uh, we see the wife and child uh, crying in the emergency room, and we see a uh, JD crying while watching them. And then there's this very melancholy version of the Sesame Street song. And uh, JD says this. And then I realized why I thought about Sesame Street all day. In a way, you can learn everything you have to know watching it as a kid. Like, always play nice, always try your hardest, and even, it's okay to cry. It's a very sad moment, and uh, I rewatched this episode to prepare for the sermon, and I was, like, weeping really bad uh, while watching it. But I think JD makes an excellent point, and it's something I think that's missing from our culture in general, but also sort of our, our perspective of the church. I think we have this idea that we should all be Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, where everything is happy-go-lucky, no, there's no problems, we should be joyous at all times. But I really don't think that's our experience. Uh, we look at the world, we look at what's going on in Gaza right now, we look at what's going on uh, you know, in our homes, our neighborhoods, domestically, and we see life's not this happy-go-lucky world. And one thing that's beautiful about the Bible is I think the Bible really shows and explains this complexity that's in the world. As we went through this Genesis series, we see Adam and Eve uh, mourn the loss of their first son. Uh, Abraham and Sarah struggle with infertility. Later in Genesis, Joseph is sold into slavery. David is chased and tormented constantly. 
In the New Testament church, it doesn't get much better. All the apostles, except for John, are killed, and John's, uh, you know, locked in prison until he died. Stephen is stoned. Paul's beaten, shipwrecked, left for dead. And like JD, the Bible teaches us that it's okay to cry. And this biblical word for crying is lament, but it's not much more than just as we see in the movies. It's raining, the movie's black and white for some reason, and they're just sitting in the room uh, alone. But a lament, as one commentator put it, is an expression of grief and sorrow either by an individual or community where there's a cry out to God over a great evil or affliction in which they suffer, even though they are innocent. Uh, the Bible is full of these laments. Jeremiah, who is called the weeping prophet who watched Jerusalem fall, writes an entire book called Lamentations. And in fact, over one-third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Lamenting is important. It's part of our Christian walk. One-third of our Psalms are it. And these laments are very interesting because they're paradoxical in which the singer is asking God, why does this great tragedy happen? But also having complete hope and trust in the sovereignty of God that everything's going to turn out okay in the end. And so as we look at this psalm of uh, lament, one thing that we uh, need to kind of realize uh, is that one these psalms are sung by people, as the, the commentator said, they're innocent. Now, this is not a commentary on the heart of per, the person saying that they're sinless. This is more of the statement that the, the cause of their lament is not because of their sin. I think of like Job and Jonah, right? Job was just kind of sitting there, minding his own business when all of these great tragedies befell him. And, you know, most of the book is his three friends saying, dude, you sinned, you need to repent, and him going like, no, I'm innocent, I did not sin. Whereas, uh, you know, we look at, say, Jonah, the whole storm being in the belly of the fish was God told him, go, 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 and he said, no, no, no. Uh, you know, that was God's way of showing Noah his sovereignty and ultimately bringing him to Nineveh. So that's one thing to, to think about. The other thing is, uh, and this is a reflection quote from Athanasius. I'm not going to read the whole quote to you, but he says this about the Psalms. He says, He who writes, recites the Psalms is uttering the rest of his own words, and each sings them as if they are written concerning him. And he accepts them and recites them, not as if another were speaking, nor as if he's speaking about someone else, but he handles them as if he's speaking about himself. And the things spoken are such that he lifts them up to God as himself, acting and speaking them for, from himself. Athanasius here is basically saying, you know, when we read, uh, you know, the history books, when we read the prophets, we're analyzing, we're reading those words, those words are talking about other things, but the Psalms are unique in whether they're Psalms of praise, Psalms of thanksgiving, Psalms of confession, that we can actually take these words and pray them ourselves. If you're in a, a state of, uh, despair, if you're lamenting something, you can pray this psalm yourself and, or any of the other psalms of lament. They're very unique in that way. So as we go on, we're going to look at uh, two parts of the psalm. Uh, one, how do we as Christians properly lament? And two, how Christ's crucifixion both fulfills the psalm and how Jesus is the innocent sufferer par excellence. Uh, so this first part of the sermon is going to rely heavily on uh, this book by Mark Brobach, uh, uh, Brogop called Weep With Me. Uh, we read it, um, a couple of us read it a few years ago, and it's about uh, uh, lament and how lament can be the first step towards racial reconciliation. 
And uh, what he does in the book is he divides the Psalms into four parts. Uh, to turn to God, to complain, to ask, and to trust. So we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at those four parts. So to turn, complain, ask, and trust. Now this first part, uh, to turn to God, it makes the most sense in our mind, but at least for me, and I think I'm not the only one, it's probably the hardest one. It's uh, very easy when times are tough, when there's trouble, that I turn to everyone first but God. I exhaust all of my possibilities and then turn to God. I think, you know, Jim was preaching uh, last week about, you know, our cup uh, being filled and, you know, God being just like the top off. And that's sometimes how we are when we are in those moments of despair. But it really should be the first thing we do is turning to God in a difficult situation. Um, And we see this in our psalm, our first verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first thing he does is turn to God. And because David knows that God's the only one who's going to be able to rescue him. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is this very brief one. I caught it a couple years ago, and it's always stuck with me. And it's in the book of uh, Nehemiah at the very beginning. And uh, this is when Israel's in exile, but some of the um, Israelites are going back to Israel. Jerusalem, and Nehemiah, he's the cupbearer for King Anaxerxes, and he's going to go to the king and do a big ask, because Nehemiah wants to rebuild the wall, and he's going to ask for a lot of resources for that. And, uh, you know, there he does cry and pray out to God in uh, chapter 1, but in chapter 2, we get this quick sentence in verse 4. He says, so I prayed to God in heaven, and then I met with the king, and it's just this very, like, good reminder for me that, hey, when I'm about to have some sort of moment of hardship, despair, whatever, turn to God, even if it's a quick, quick prayer. And that's what we should do uh, as we turn to God. And as we see our world broken about us, it should become instinctual for us. As the psalmist says that many bulls are around him, strong bulls of Bashan, their mouths are open like a roaring lion, we should turn to God as the psalmist does. And then once we turn, our next step is to complain, which I think complaining often sounds negative. It sounds whining. We, uh, you know, are sitting there with our friends, drinking our beverage, saying, you know, my boss is kind of a jerk. My coworker did this. I can't believe my spouse did this. But that's not what biblical complaining looks like. Brogrop says this, that complaining is candidly talking to God about what is wrong vocalizing circumstances that do not seem to fit with his character and purposes. While the psalmist knows God is in control, there are times when he feels like he's not. Biblical complaining is not venting your sinful anger, it's merely telling God about your struggles. God, life sucks right now. These things are going wrong. Why is this happening? And we see this when when, uh, David says, uh, why have you forsaken me? It seems there that David is remembering uh, in the end of Deuteronomy, uh, before Moses dies, he reassures Joshua that the Lord goes before you, he will be with you, he will never leave you or forsake you, Do uh, do not fear or be dismayed. And if we read through the psalm again, it seems like David's very afraid and very dismayed. He's looking at God saying, I read these promises that you'll never leave me and forsake me, and here I am all alone. I don't understand it. We see that uh, in verses uh, 6 through 8, uh, David sees all of humanity against him. He complains that his enemies are against him, but not just his enemies, 
but his people as well. The Israelites are against him. He feels no sense of community. We would say in our, our modern language that my brothers and sisters in Christ have abandoned me. I feel all alone. It's like uh, in the 90s, there's that footprints in the sand and, you know, why, why did I only see one footprint, uh, God? That's sort of where David's at. And it's not just this emotional pain of feeling alone, but it's physical as well. In verse 17, he's so thin and malnourished that he can see his bones through his skin. And all of that that David is experiencing, and we don't know exactly what is causing this actual lament, but all of this that he's reading kind of goes against what Jesus or what David is reading in the Old Testament in the scriptures of the time. In the New Testament, we see Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount telling people not to worry about their clothes or their food because God will provide. But there are times, and I've had these moments, where we just don't see it. We're wondering, where are our clothes going to come from? Where is our food going to come from? And in those moments, we must cry out to God and tell him, Lord, what's going on? And this is not demanding of him. This is not saying, God, you owe me this, but just reminding him, of his promises and remembering to trust in him. There's a Christian rapper named NF who sings a song called, Oh Lord. And the song is mostly a commentary about our need to reach out to God, not only in the good times, but also the bad times. But he also nails the, the uh, or hammers the, the nail on the head when he talks about complaining to God. He says in multiple times, we look in the sky like, why aren't you listening? Watching the news in our living rooms on the big screens and talking about if God's real, then where is he? The refrain of the, the song is, oh Lord, do you see us down here? And he whispers at the end, do you see us? Can you see us? In this song, he's complaining to God, as, as we should as well. But we shouldn't just complain. It shouldn't just be a vent session of complaining, complaining, complaining. We also need to turn to God as our net. Uh, sorry, trust in God is our next section. Uh, and uh, asking uh, and trusting. So when we ask, we are yearning for deliverance that fit was, fits with God's character and affirms God's promises by asking again and again for divine help. Repeating requests becomes hopeful reminders of what God can do. Asking boldly serves to strengthen our resolve to not give up. The most pr famous prayer in the Bible is the Lord's Prayer. And in there, we have an ask deliver us from evil. And if we look at our uh, psalm, in verses 19 through 21, we read, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. I want to point out that these things that he's praying about, that he's asking for, they're not vague. They're very specific requests. The sword, the dog, and the lion just a couple of verses later, uh, earlier, he's complaining, Lord, I'm being attacked by the sword. I'm being attacked by the dog. I'm being attacked by the lion. Deliver me from these things. When we are in moments of lament, when we're in moments of despair, when we have those moments to cry out, we should be asking God for specific things, specific prayers. And as uh, Vorogop says, we keep praying over and over again. We don't give up. We should feel confident that God will eventually answer our prayer. It might not be the answer we desire, but he will answer it. And I think if we look through the pages of scripture, we can see that this happens. 
the French theologian John Calvin says that some seem to be moved by the fact that the prayers of the saints are often said to have been heard. Why? Because they prayed. Let's also pray after their example that like them, we too may be heard. In the book of Hebrews, uh, which is probably one of my favorite books, we have in chapter 11 what's known as the Hall of Faith. And there it highlights the history of Israel and points out some of our main characters are uh, sort of you know, great bastions uh, of the faith uh, that we have. And if we read their stories, we see you know, they're not the most perfect people and they don't pray the most perfect prayers, but they prayed. If we look at Samson, for example, uh, in his story, he was given the Nazarite vow, which had three very simple guidelines. Don't drink alcohol, don't cut your hair, and don't go near a dead body. And if you uh, haven't read the story in a while, Samson does three things. Drinks alcohol, cuts his hair, goes near a dead body. Not our bastion of the perfect life. But he prays to God, and it's interesting that his prayer is not one of, a, uh, of repentance. It's not one saying, God, I broke my vow, please forgive me. It's a prayer of revenge. God, let me kill the Philistines. Give me my power back. And God answers this prayer. Now, I'm not saying don't pray like Samson. Uh, you know, if the, if the Phillies or the Eagles lose, do not pray for, uh, you know, condemnation and, and God to smite uh, other teams. But just the fact that God is the one who answers prayers. And at the end of the Hall of Faith, we, uh, the author of the Hebrews says that we're surrounded by these great cloud of witnesses. These great cloud that are asking God for things, but also trusting in him. And then, so as we go to our final step of trusting, we see that trusting is having confidence, as Burgop says, in his trustworthiness and all destination of lament. Turning, complaining, and asking leads here. Lament helps us through suffering by directing our hearts to making a choice, often daily, to trust in God's purposes hidden behind the pain. This trusting is our reaffirming belief in God's goodness and faithfulness and this heartache of uh, lament that we go through. We see in verses 3 through 5 of our passage today that David says, You are holy and trusted on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. David says, hey, even though I'm going through all this lament, even though I feel so far away from you, my forefathers and uh, mothers trusted in you, I can trust in you as well, and I'm going to put my trust in you. And I think that this is one of the most uh, important things to do and sometimes besides turning to God one of the hardest things to do because we look at our lives and we're thinking why it, why isn't this being fixed now why aren't I being fixed today and yet we see throughout the scriptures that God is faithful over and over and over again David had the whole ordeal with Bathsheba and Uriah the Israelites, after watching the parting of the Red Seas, complained to God days later. I'd like to think that if I witnessed the parting of the Red Seas or a giant cloud of fire and a cloud of smoke, that I would not turn away from God just days before and not trust him. But if I can be honest with myself and honest with you guys, there are days when I leave this church after hearing the word preached, after taking the Lord's Supper, 
I get in my car and I sin. I have anger towards my wife, my child, the guy who cuts me off. I have anxiety, I worry. And it was just minutes uh, earlier that I worshiped God and praised him for all of the graciousness he gives me. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. But the good news is, even though we sin constantly, God is faithful. He's faithful to an unfaithful people. He's faithful even though I am faithless. And that's something we can hope for. We can turn to God who is called faithful and true. For those here who might be unsure of spiritualities, if you look at these steps with this air of skepticism, my one question is, who do we turn to then? Do we turn to ourself, our friends, the state, an unthinking and unfeeling universe? In my experience, and I, looking at the history of the world, these things fail time and time again. But the great thing about the God that we worship is that he's not far off. He is one that, A, listens to our prayers like a father, but also personally experienced lament, and who in the hours before his death encapsulated this very psalm. If you're familiar with the crucifixion story at all, then this first verse should feel familiar to you. On the cross, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So you see, much like uh, this Psalm 22, much like an onion or an ogre, has many layers to it. On its most basic level, it's a, a struggle that David is going through and him lamenting. But on a more deeper level, it's a prophetic or Masonic psalm pointing forward to Jesus. And even a third layer where Jesus is the model sufferer of uh, wrongdoing who cries out in lament. And we're going to be spending the next few minutes looking at these two layers. Uh, besides this first verse, there's a number of places this psalm is fulfilled in Jesus during his crucifixion. Uh, verse uh, 6, uh, he feels abandoned by Israel, uh, David feels abandoned by the Israelites, and we see Jesus abandoned by his disciples. Verse 7, we read, all who, uh, all who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. And Matthew says that all who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. Verse 8, David's uh, enemies mock at him. He trusted in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And these same mockings are repeated in Matthew when, uh, when Jesus' enemies say, He trusts in God, let him deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Additionally, verse 16, so, uh, David says that his hands and feet are pierced. And Jesus' hands and feet were pierced for our transgressions. Verse 18, which says that his uh, clothes were divided and uh, were, his garments were divided among them and his clothing were cast for lots. In John's gospel, he says that this is directly fulfilled in Jesus. And verse 22, I will tell of your name of my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. The author of Hebrews uh, says that this is fulfilled directly in Christ because of uh, his salvation that's perfected in us. Uh, one commentator also noted that Peter seems to be using uh, verse 13 about the roaring lion to refer to Satan. And it's important to note that like the roaring lion of the psalm, Jesus trusted in the fact that the power of Satan would be undone through his life, death, and resurrection and that one day Satan would be completely defied, uh, defeated when he returns. So when we're confronted with sin, 
when we feel the weight of the guilt on us, we can rest in Christ knowing that he truly defeated death, and one day it will be no more. And that, my brothers, is something worth trusting in. The last layer I want to look at is that Jesus as the innocent sufferer of this lament. Yes, he's prophesied, but in a very real way, he prays, prays this prayer in a way that we can never do. When Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those aren't just empty words. He's not just saying, this psalm is about me, guys. He is praying these things. Jesus took upon himself as the sinless one. He took upon us all of our sin and all of the weight of the sin and all of God's wrath upon us on that day on the cross. He's the only one that could have taken that uh, weight upon him. And he cried out to the Father. He felt the full weight of that wrath. And that's something that should humble us to know that even though I should be the one on that cross, Jesus took that weight himself. He sang the psalm of lament because of his great love for us. If we repent and believe in that good news, then we are reconciled to God. And when he returns, we will no longer have to lament and a psalm like ours today will long, no longer be necessary. In God's plan, Jesus lamented one day so that we will no longer need to for all eternity. To close, and brief, uh, to close I briefly want to say that there's actually a fifth step that I'm going to sneak in. And in that, we need to praise God when he answers our prayers. From verse 22 to the end of the psalm, David explains how he is going to praise God because he's been delivered. He states that we will sing God's praises not only to the people of Israel, but to all the nations. In verses 27 and 28, he sings, All the ends of the earth shall remember and, to the, and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. In this way, we thank God and praise him when the prayers are answered, whether it's a lament of something going wrong in our lives, a lament for what's going on in our nation or the world. We praise God when those prayers are answered. We also praise God for the, an for the prayers answered in the crucifixion, the fact that he reconciles us to himself. That's good news that we give him praise for and we share with other people. Over this last month, uh, Liberty, uh, we've taken a couple of times uh, to speak about various international missions that have been going on as we live to speak uh, to live, speak, and serve as the very uh, presence of Jesus. And we have our global, uh, Liberty Global celebration, November 5th. Those are times and those are ways that we are fulfilling the psalm of praising God to all the nations and sharing the good news of what God has done to all the nations. And let us continue to go on and do that, both in our neighborhoods, with our friends and families, and throughout the world. One day when Christ returns, when there are no more tears, pain, or sin, when we'll be in constant praise of God, as David says, it'll be great that we won't have to remember these prayers of lament. But until then, when times are tough, when we feel like we have nowhere to turn to, when we feel all alone, lament. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem. 
on the same podcast feed where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.